And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 41 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, August 25th, 2014. So was your PlayStation Network hacked this week? Did you shake, rattle, and roll up there in Northern California? Or were you just lost watching Miley Cyrus win at the VMA for Wrecking Ball as video of the year? Well, fear not, because we're here to help. The crack team at PNR will never let you down, strike you out, or swing naked on a wrecking ball. And in return for those promises, we do hope you'll consider giving us a positive review on iTunes. As you also give yourself a little gift of the early release via subscribing our little show, via iTunes, Stitcher, all that. And then, as always, stop by the blog on Saturday at thisoldmarketing.com, where you'll find all the links to the news and everything we talk about here. Anyway, as always, it's time to welcome my colleague, my co-host, my good, good friend coming from Cleveland, Ohio. Please welcome the Monet Davis of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend, Joe? You've been watching the uh, Little League World You series? know, I did not watch the World Series, but Monet has been getting a lot of play out there she is on I'll fire you, it's a fantastic story i saw that uh, jimmy fallon oh, did a little a thank you note story. to monet oh yeah it's such a great great story you love to see a kid like that be able to handle the media so i love the fact when the the, the reporter went up to her and said uh you know how are you handling all of this media attention she goes i can just say no <laughs> you know it's just like you could just there say you go. no absolutely um the whole wrecking ball <laughs> comment there i just i really want to take that back and delete it all together that, i don't think we, do, we want to do that at all to our fans i think so. i'm i'm inviting somebody to photoshop a, a gif together of joe on the wrecking ball so if anybody can do that i've got 50 bucks for you um and if you can tweet that out with the hashtag this old marketing an orange really maybe great. an orange wrecking ball with my orange suit on there you i could go. that i would do or just or just your head plastered over the top of Miley Cyrus with something orange on. Well, don't well. say that because you know <laughs> Mr. Kalidowski, our creative director, will be hot. At work. <laughs> I mean, he probably is already doing it as we speak. So I absolutely would oh, adore. Gosh. And then that. we've got, well, of course, uh, the Emmys tonight, and I'll be looking. Yeah, the Emmys tonight. I'll be there. I'll be there with my pizza in front of the TV watching. I gotta I can't see if wait. Mr. Spacey ends up winning because if. If he's so, oh, you know, it's going to be, be even better for his, his uh, showtime at the content marketing world. So that'll be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, shall yeah, we to the news we? then? All right. Well, a, something we wanted to mention right off the top here, which is uh, not necessarily the top story of the week, but something really interesting happened. SlideShare Pro, which is, of course, you're all familiar with SlideShare, and, and SlideShare Pro was the paid version of that. Um, SlideShare and ostensibly LinkedIn, because they own SlideShare, came out and said, now SlideShare Pro is free. Um, in an announcement on their website, which we'll, of course, link to in the show notes, they came out and said, when we launched Pro, we wanted to make sure that you had ways to better market your content and get out there with content analytics and the ability to get leads and all this wonderful stuff, and you paid. And it wasn't cheap, but it wasn't that expensive either. But now they've basically made some of the pro features free to all users. And so if you paid, you're getting a refund and basically, so, I mean, what did you think about this, Joe? Well, you and I have 
maybe a little bit of insider. And we, we knew the folks at SlideShare fairly right. well and around their struggle and, and after LinkedIn bought them. And, you know, we were concerned that SlideShare Pro was going to go away because SlideShare Pro has right. been fantastic. One of our best lead generators altogether uh, when it comes to uh, leads for the, the presentations we'd put on the platform. Now, well, from what they're saying, and, and I need a little bit of clarification, so I don't know if you, if you know this or not, but it, so it looks like they're making SlideShare Pro free, which is great, seems to be great, and it's sort of almost the feeling of they're being assimilated by the Borg thing, and it's going to be part of part <laughs> right. of LinkedIn marketing, which not, isn't necessarily bad, but it's just happening. But as I was perusing the new features that anybody on, on SlideShare really needs to check these out. So I'm looking at the new features on Pro. I couldn't find anything for lead generation. I couldn't find anything. Well, I mean, could you find something? Because I couldn't. Yeah, well, they say in the announcement, so if you look at the uh, uh, deeper into the text there, they basically say starting early next year, what they're calling lead share is going to be rolled into the LinkedIn enterprise solution. And it says, and this is maybe a little bit of doublespeak here, but basically until that time, you'll continue to have access to that tool at no additional cost. And so I suspect what you're seeing there are the very first uh, hints of the integration with the acquisition of Bizzo. Um, and I think you're going to see uh, a lead generation, lead form solution come out of LinkedIn, which is going to be more LinkedIn-wide, and it's going to actually take advantage of the Bizzo service and then also obviously offer that up through that makes perfect. Well. That makes perfect sense. It's just I just hope we don't lose that capability because they've been – No, I think – well, I think you're not going to lose it, but I think you're going to no, pay for it. I mean you pay for SlideShare Pro, or we were paying for SlideShare Pro right. until they made it free and they stopped – letting everyone have access to it anymore so well the question is going to be can you are you going to be able to pay for that by itself or is it going to become part of linkedin's enterprise solution which you know when you see the words enterprise and solution together you can start ringing up the cash register well i think you just made a prediction there my friend <laughs> i'm sure that's what <laughs> that's what will happen so yeah i don't think any more to, yes. any more time we need to spend on it but it happened no. And there's more to come, and I'm, I'm, I, <laughs> and that, that happened. Yeah, that happened. Well, I mean, the, the other, the, the other thing that just to, as I wrote down my notes here, is there's an opportunity for them to ratchet up advertising against that. I mean, there's 60 million users on the SlideShare platform, sure, and sure. most of LinkedIn's revenue, I believe, comes in through advertising. Does it not, in some way, shape, yeah, or form? So does. if they open this up a little bit more to the broader audience. Uh, and they take away Pro, in essence, what Pro was, because you could create your own page and with your own marketing message. Now they're going to open it up, and basically, you probably have to, you'll ultimately probably have to play, pay not to have advertising on your site. I'm assuming. I don't know. At yeah. some point, I would, I would think so. I mean, I, I think that they're probably looking at this. They're trying to widen out the the usage of SlideShare. Um, with all of the different features that it has available and then basically not seeing a lot of revenue, incremental revenue from the, the, the pro account holders. And so by giving that for free, they end up saying, okay, well, we'll retain those enterprise users who will ultimately pay for a broader set of solutions called the LinkedIn enterprise solution, right? So it's basically saying, hang out, stick around because the blue plate specials coming and it's going to be even more awesomer than. Well, it's going to be crazy. Whatever the transition is, is going to be crazy for us at Content Marketing Institute, just because we stopped 
putting out PDFs a while ago, and everything links over to an embedded slide share that if people then want to download, you know, we'll ask them for their name, and we'd like to add you to the subscription list, hopefully. That's been a really good, uh, great subscription uh, resource for us to do that to do it that way, but I don't know. I'm sure it's going to cost a lot more money in the future, so... It was really nice <laughs> as, while it lasted. As Maybe most that's things what it is. do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, moving on. And speaking of costing a fortune and all of that, um, Clay Shirky says it's the end of printed newspapers. Dun, dun, dun. This is something we've been talking about on shows previous. Um, this article comes from medium.com. Uh, at, uh, by the way, a site that I'm kind of digging the way that they – very simply place art. I, I really like the design. A lot of there's a lot of bloggers that note. went to Medium and use Medium as their blogging platform. I think it's a really interesting interesting idea. Anyway, so Clay Shirky, who I love, I'm a fanboy of. I've I've read most, if not all, of his books. Um, he says that basically the he, he makes a pretty strong case for this being the end of printed newspapers. I mean, he gives statistics, he gives you know facts, and I think one of the things that maybe surprised me the most about this article was how he really talks about how reporters for as open and sort of investigative as a mindset that they have have really been in a state of ignorance about the companies that actually employ them and sort of the state of the state of the newspaper business i mean you you come from this world what did well you this is the thing that because when when i sent this article over i think you were looking at it as well and i said take a look at this article the, the most interesting thing to me is that he's talking about these hard-nosed journalists that really, I mean, that's what their job is, to go and find the truth and report on the truth and understand data that almost to a T don't understand the business that they're in. They're not told about right. what the, the, how the business runs. They're not given the right stats. I mean, he's citing all kinds of stats about journalists not even understanding what the paid uh, journalists not understanding what the paid circulation is of the uh, newspaper they write for, which right. the reason why I started to think about that is you and I run into this all the time where who's ever creating the content for the enterprise, they do not know the core business objectives behind what they're doing. And this is what this is why this resonated with me so much. We're almost seeing the same type of thing happen on the enterprise side. It's just they just you know we do the process that we are paid to do. Somebody says, "Oh, you have to run the blog," and we run the blog and we create metrics that we think are important: web traffic and sharing and those types of things. But at the end of the day, in a lot of cases, we don't know how that's affecting the overall business, which I think is a problem. Well, it. Ah, it's a huge problem. I mean, that is, I mean, we're talking about something a lot bigger now than just the newspaper business. I mean, what you've just pointed out, I mean, and I absolutely agree with it, is is something that I have seen personally in large enterprises, small enterprises, typically in bigger companies where people either feel like they don't, you know, they're just a very small cog in the wheel and they don't feel like they affect the business very much and they sort of, a, there's an us versus them sort of, idea there but they also have completely no idea what the business really does i mean i can't tell you how many i well i was just in a very large technology company a very very large you would definitely recognize the brand if i told you i was in their department where they did a survey of the 75 people in marketing and they said tell us the 
core value proposition of the X brand. And half of them couldn't say it, couldn't, you know, the other half, by the way, got it all wrong. But the but half of them didn't even know there was one. And that's really crazy because that's the marketing people that are getting surveyed there. That's not even that's not even sales or CR, you know, the customer service people or anybody like that. That's the marketing people who can't can't enunciate the the actual value proposition of the of of the brand that they work for. I mean, that's just crazy. I just find it odd. I mean, but it's completely true. I mean, I as as you were saying before, I mean, I spent 7 years in business to business publishing and I can absolutely tell you that the majority of people that work in publishing have no clue about the 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 different pulleys and what really moves the business. I mean, besides the fact that, oh, we need more ads or we need more paid content, but they don't have a really good understanding of what their job and how that works overall in the business. And I, I guess right. if you're, it's just weird when you think about some of these journalists or some of the, I mean, so that he's talking about, these are some of the best journalists in the world, and yet they don't even know their own circulation numbers um, yeah. because maybe because they don't think it's their job. And right. I mean, long story short, he, you know, basically that he's not that he's the first person to say that here's the death of the newspaper. But he says it's interesting that by the end of the decade, he said that the majority of newspapers, print newspapers will be gone. And what interested me about it is the fact that almost all the print revenue right now comes from Sunday inserts. And I can testify to that because the only paper that we get in the household at home is the Sunday newspaper. And. It was maybe a quarter newspaper, three quarters inserts. And wow. at some point, they're going to turn off that spigot and say, oh, we don't need right. to do we're CVS or Best Buy. We, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to do something else. And then it's done. Because there's nothing else. That's there's amazing. no classifieds. That's, that's, there's, there's not much yeah, advertising well, exactly. in there anymore. I mean, from what I can tell, the weekly editions, I mean, here in Cleveland, we, we they only print – they can only deliver three, uh, three printed editions a week, and those other ones are super small. I mean, they they can't right. be making money off of those. So, no. Well, we get the LA Times every day, and it's got ads and and it's got inserts as well. And um, you know, but I think the the circulation is 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 so small now for the print newspaper. I saw some just astronomical number about the LA Times, and you know how many people are actually in the city. You know, in the you know twenty one million or something in the L A greater area, and the circulation is you know n- not even one percent of that. Well, the one thing I was looking at though, just because I had to, this is this is a print newspaper issue. It's not a print issue. I just want everybody to, that's listening to this not think that there's on not an opportunity in print because if you look at and I was on this site called Statista. And basically, statistics is keeping track of all these different uh, uh, stats for uh, media distribution and, and what we spend time with. And 95% of people engage in some kind of printed piece every day. Now, they only spend 5% of their time, total time, in print media. Right. But they do still engage in print. And that's why I still think in the luxury market, uh, depending on what the business model is, specifically for brands... And we'll talk about one in this old marketing as well that has had some impact in it. Uh, there's still an opportunity in print. It's just this business model. So, right. Well, and it's the content. You know, it's the, it's the, 
Yeah, it's what we were talking. Didn't we talk about this last week on the show where we were talking about sort of that? I got to do some more research into this. That sort of remember where I was sort of making it up on the fly where the more the closer it is to live, the more commoditized it is or the, the closer it is to news, the more, you know, where I was saying that the value of content is actually disproportionately or 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 uh, has a direct relationship in the opposite way to the actual value of advertising in it, right? So as news, because it can become, it can be gotten so easily, there's actually a a greater commoditization of it than say, you know, for example, I love going through, my wife uh, subscribes to these architectural magazines because she loves architecture and the design of houses and buildings and stuff. And so I love paging through those and looking at the photographs. And it's something I would not enjoy doing online, right? But I enjoy going through the thick paper and, you know, and really enjoying a good architectural magazine. But I wouldn't do that with a newspaper. I just don't. I think I don't you can make a case. It. No, I think you can make a case for that. I mean, really, truly valuable content to a group of influential buyers, uh, and with with content that you just can't get ever, anywhere. I think that there's a premium yeah. for that as long as they're engaging in that media channel. Absolutely, there's an opportunity for that. Uh, Love to get Andrew Davis's take on this because he's such a big newspaper guy and. Well, he's been behind. For, I mean, yeah, he's for, been for all the whole Warren Buffett thing with Warren Buffett buying newspapers. He thinks right, there's the a whole huge, letters to see. Them. I think the opportunity. I mean, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but I will because that's what I I do the best. Actually, is repeat myself. <laughs> but the I I think of this newspaper model the same thing as when I'm watching the Disney Channel with the boys and they're watching something where it's you know the Miley Cyrus type of thing or where it's the new kids that. You know, they're not, you know, all they get the cable subscription for that, but there's no advertising on that channel. What are they doing? They're basically propping up new people on there. They're creating new brands and then they're selling concerts and they're selling other things off of that. It's a loss leader for them. I mean, I don't know if they just make money off of that, but they don't need to because of all the, the revenue that they're generating off of that. Now, that's why I just don't understand. Why can't you do that with a newspaper? Why isn't anybody doing that with a newspaper? Maybe Bezos can yeah, figure it out with the Washington Post. So, very interesting. Well, so spe- uh, you know, speaking of native advertising, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Yeah, there we go. Uh, now, this is a fascinating story to me, um, namely because it has to do with technology and 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 some of the companies we've actually covered here on this show before. So, Yahoo has introduced its native ad network. And here we go. This is fascinating. Yahoo introduces their native ad work. This as an uh, article comes from Ad Age this week, and they talked about they that last year Yahoo basically adopted what they called the low hanging fruit version of native advertising, with sort of like you know putting long form content in stream and, and all that sort of stuff, like what BuzzFeed's doing with sponsored articles, or uh, you know New York Times and every other buddies you know yelling at the New York Times these days, but. They really have changed this whole idea. They're now out there competing with these promoted content ad networks like Outbrain and Taboola and those types of companies. They're basically going out and saying, we're going to show you related content on news sites and publishers can get this and basically have related content on their news sites, which is now helping publishers promote their own stories. I mean, is Yahoo now in competition with Outbrain? Uh, yes. Absolutely. I mean, if I'm Outbrain, Taboola, Enrelate, 
I'm saying, wow, a big competitor just came in. I mean, there's a couple things to this too. I mean, first off is instead of a Yahoo using an Outbrain technology for their content recommendations, they can do use their own technology. They don't have to give any cut. It's it's all right. theirs. The second thing is most people don't realize, but Yahoo is one of the largest publishers of content on the planet. So if they just oh, yeah, did this huge. for themselves, it's a moneymaker, right? Because they have, it's yeah. almost like AOL, the same thing. People don't realize AOL has a number of websites and brands that they do. Yahoo is the same way. So I'm thinking from that sure. standpoint, it could just be a cost savings. But now, I mean, and I'm reading in this, if, you, if we're seeing the same thing, uh, Marissa Meyer, the CEO, is saying that they're, one of their goals is to focus on off-network business. So they're 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 going to go off Hello. network and go sell this right. to the CNNs and Fox News of the world. I'm assuming, correct? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I can't see why they wouldn't. You know, I mean, now if, time will tell if they can actually execute against this and if they're a little late to the party. But you know, they've got a good brand. You know, they've got a big brand. I don't know how good it is these days, but it's certainly still the a big number brand four website it's, it's, on the planet. So absolutely. Well, they could go out. Here's the thing. They when they say off network, they could actually go off and buy their own. They could buy AOL, right? They could they could they could buy you know the AOL network. Which it, now correct me if I'm wrong here. AOL is Huffington Post, yes. and uh, and then all yeah, these and, small and so, sub brands. Um, and I don't know all of them, but they're all in all these niches. I don't either, a lot of yeah. them are in fashion and tech. It's the that's right, that's right. Well, it's the old Jason Calacanis network of 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 sites. Um, the I can't remember them off the off the but Huffington Post being the huge behemoth yeah. there. I mean, if literally just, if they got that, it would be a, a, it would be a huge, a huge feather in their cap, um, and make this and make this a huge, you know, a, a huge effort. Um, so I, I, I have to say if, there, if, you know, this has got to be, would love to get Outbrain's take on this. Cause this will be, and Tabula and all of the, the, the solutions. Well, we'll have to, yeah, we'll have to talk to him in a couple of weeks. And that's the first question I say, yeah, Hey, exactly. what do you think of that whole Yahoo thing? Yeah. I'm sure they'll all, have, I'm sure they're all <laughs> rushing to have a take with it right now. Oh, sure. They all have right. Competitive, competitive stuff. I'm sure ready to rock. On yeah. So, thing. yeah, I mean, it's outside of the fact that I think it's, it's just going to get interesting. And I think it's an interesting play. Uh, for 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 Yahoo trying to find a business model, frankly, yeah, and and they're not yeah. growing, and you know what's going to take them to the next level. This could be could be part of it. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, and this also comes back to the prediction that we made. What was it two shows ago about LinkedIn getting into this business too? There's no reason that LinkedIn now with their acquisition of Bizzo can't get into this. Well, actually, you know, it's funny so. you say that because this move would have made much more sense to me if LinkedIn came out with it. Uh, but the, but the, but <laughs> right. but Yahoo as the bigger install base. I mean, they can go right now. Oh, they have course. so many more, so much more traffic to certain different niche sites that. Oh, they can sell this oh immediately. Right? Well, they've they already can, got they, yeah. They can they've already they can just sell it to their existing advertising network on their own sites, and exactly. they're ready to go. Yeah, exactly right. All right. Well, moving on to the next, and uh, you know, speaking of content and the death, the death to content, long live the editor article. Uh, really interesting article, if not kind of a duh conclusion, um, from eConsultancy this week. And this is an article on, and by the way, I just have to go on a little bit of a mini rant here. eConsultancy, if you're out there, 
can you just stop with the pop-ups, the float overs, the menus coming down from every, it's like, oh my gosh, I just want to read the story and there's a pop-up and then there's a float up and then there's a menu bar that comes in. And then it's just like, I, I can't even find the story in all the different. Well, the, the biggest issue that I have is actually there. the sign up now box because I don't know how to get rid of it. Do you, it, can you get rid of the, can I get rid of this thing? I'm gonna I'm gonna click now. I, I might lose the article altogether. Okay, I can click this little arrow and it, <laughs> it goes down. But yeah. I was a little concerned just, that some other pop up would come up and bite me. Oh my god! And you know I don't normally mind like one pop up, like boom, you know, sign up for our thing. It's like I get that, right? I get why people do that. But then the pop up that doesn't come until the entire page loads and it sort of fades in. It's like no, you know, and the X is way up in the right hand corner, and then you close that, and then a little menu bar floats up, and then another one floats by, and then I uh, miss the one. You know what I miss is the one on Yahoo that used to follow my cursor around that says take the survey. Take the survey and used to move it back and forth, and it just right. used to follow exactly. your around. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so I didn't mean to get off on a rant there, but basically, if the saying goes that content is king, uh, this you know, basically this article says content is only good if a good editor establishes a fair, consistent point of view. I mean, I did you find anything that was sort of well, we talk about no. I mean, it's 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 just it's it's good to remember this, and because I think what a lot of brands out there do. Let's just take it on the content marketing side. We think that oh, we've got to create more content, and usually more content is not the answer. It's usually right. Well, how do we take our existing assets and tell better stories from them? And in a lot of cases, that needs better editors. And and I, this this article just reminds me and. We don't see it as much anymore, but let's say 12 to 18 months ago, remember all those brands that were just putting, they were putting out as much content as possible. Right. And they, all the, you know, all the employees are blogging and we're not taking time to edit because we got to get up, you know, we got to get up as much as we can in a short period of time. And then we, we realize that that's really not going to help us. Google started penalizing for a lot of that stuff. And of course, yep. now we're like back to a flight to quality. Thank goodness. But I think that, and I, I talked about I talked about this in my latest like seven trends article that I did a couple weeks ago was if you're going to hire somebody, you might want to look at hiring an editor before you hire a content creator. Um, and that yep. editor might actually serve as your chief content officer that really understands, you know, what is the strategy? What are we trying to do? And then let's find the best stories. Let's start telling the best stories. Um, I think my interest I guess. Well, this is what the, this is what that gets to that uh, that whole you know, I went off on a little bit of a rant last week. This, the difference is by by having a good editor, they understand that it's content first, medium second, right? So the the the, the traditional marketer, and I speak from experience here, coming from the traditional marketing side of the ha- house here, the traditional marketer thinks medium first, message second, right? So I want to do an ad campaign, I want to do an email campaign, I want to do a TV campaign, I want to do a print campaign. Great. We've now decided on the medium. Now, how do we fill it full of content? That's so true with native, too. Let's get involved in native. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. And so a good editor does exactly the opposite. What's the story? What's the story we're trying to tell? Okay, now that we have a story, let's figure out all the media that we actually want to express that story on in the right format and approach for each of those. That's what a good editor really does and how they just they, – they, they can take – instead of coming up and saying, hey, I've got a really great idea for a blog post. It's like, no, 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 stop. 
just tell me your idea. I'll tell you whether it's a blog post or a white paper or an entire branding campaign, right? So just tell me the idea, and now we can figure out how we should well, express it. Well, that's so it. true, right? I mean, even in your hierarchy that you know we talked about in managing content marketing, what was channels number seven? I mean, it was like before we, you know, we're doing we're we're right. doing all the upfront steps to create a real solid content marketing strategy, and then we look at okay, what 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 channels make sense to tell the story in. And it's going to hit our exactly. objectives. Okay, now let's look at that. That's so absolutely true. Yeah, I don't know if there's any more to this. I think it's just good to remember because and it's just amazing to me how many companies you and I talk to that they're like, oh, create, 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 create. And I'm like, no, let's plan a little bit. I was actually talking to somebody today right. about um, you know just how they, they can promote their podcast a little bit more. And I said, don't think about it after the fact. Plan it up front before you start doing these interviews and these podcasts. Let's plan it up front, and you'll get more leverage out of it because it it just sometimes some stories are worth telling and some stories aren't worth telling. Let's not force the issue. So, <laughs> no doubt about that. Well, it's true. I mean, and how to reuse assets, right? I mean, to tell a great story across a white paper is an example here, right? And how many blog posts is that and how many webinars could that be and how many infographics could that be and how many uh, tweets could that be and how many Facebook posts can that be and, and, and if you start to really think of the ecosystem around one I, this is what Jay Bear calls the digital dandelion right you know which is this ecosystem of content we can build around an idea and it's not about a lot of ideas it's about taking one idea and making it a lot of different versions of it and that's that's the true. That's the true magic of what a great. Well, I learned that do. that lesson from Seth Godin, and I can't remember which book it was. It was either The Dip or Small Is the New Big, where he comes right out and says, "This book was planned, and I wrote a hundred blog posts, and here's the book." <laughs> and it's like comes right, right out and exactly. says it. And I think if more of us, more companies did that, that would just be a lot more effective programs than not. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, moving on to our next and last story uh, of the show. This comes. This is way back. This is what they. This is what they in show business call the callback, folks. Um, calling back to I think episode. That was the. Sin- or I know. I remember that show because we were recording from Singapore. I, that I That's do remember. Right. We were, weren't we? All right. So it's somewhere back there earlier this year, folks where we talked about the lawsuit that was happening with this patent troll that was actually out there really sort of saying he was going to go after uh, podcasts. And basically, and they had a a patent on podcasting and episodic uh, audio uh, types of uh, files and was going to go after. And they basically picked Adam Carolla, the famous podcaster, to go after here. Well, here we are in August, and Adam Carolla has... This article comes from Mashable.com. Adam Carolla has settled the lawsuit. Um, There's a few articles on this that have really been covering this from July, and there's a lot to discuss here um, as it pertains to this. And, 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 well, uh, before I jump in, what did you Well, yeah, you and I were talking about this before. So when I read this article and I I heard about the settlement, um, you know, went right Right. into – I'm trying to get the details. What this reads to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, Adam Carolla settles his suit – with uh, what's the company called? I forgot the name of it. Personal Audio. So, so they, he settles this, and we don't know the details of the settlement. We'll know that in a couple weeks. 
But basically, it sounded from this article on Mashable that Corolla was tired, didn't want to deal with it anymore, had a lot of people behind him, but just didn't want to fight this fight anymore. And this is what this is how Mashable was spinning it. And this is what the comments are, are saying as well. It's like, I can't believe he gave up. He settles this. And what I read was this personal audio could now, because now Corolla's out, and he doesn't have to worry about it anymore, uh, just has to all of his legal fees but personal audio can come back on any other podcaster and make the same flip frivolous claims that's what i'm reading right is that not right it or is it something else well i don't know because i there's another article that came from ars technica uh which talks about that this comes from before this because the article that we're pointing to here on mashable came out in august um the 18th of yeah just last week last week yeah yeah and this Ars Technica article is from July, uh, the end of July to be specific. And that article talks about how, and we'll put these in the show notes, of course, um, how the the podcasting patent troll uh, had said that he had tried to drop the lawsuit against Adam Carolla, but Adam Carolla wasn't going to let it go. So that's whatever, 18 days earlier. So in the, sc- in the scheme of 18 days, either Adam Carolla basically either that wasn't true or adam decided that it was you know it was uh it wasn't worth fighting anymore and ended up settling but the ars technic article talked about how the patent troll has actually dropped lawsuits against two other places but is keeping the the lawsuits against cbs interactive namely and another one i'm forgetting off the top of my head basically the big boys um active so he's basically what what the the conclusion in the comments were there were is that this guy says, okay, there's no money in podcasting at the Adam Carolla level, so we're not going to sue those people, but we're going to go after people like CBS and people who actually have money and try and get some royalty out of them. I, I, I think this is basically them discovering that there's not a lot of money in podcasting. That's the, yeah, maybe so, that's the – Maybe, you know what I mean? It's like, there's, Where, yeah, what's is it the really story? worth suing somebody for a couple of dimes in a yeah, – you know? That's the story, right? The story is – Trust us, folks. Don't there's not a lot podcasting. of money. Don't go into podcasting. There's no money. Of course, we don't believe. Do it for that. the love. We love you. We yeah. love you, which is why we do this. So, uh, yeah, that, that's it. I guess more to come. But right now, Corolla's settled, and we'll see where the other cases go. So, yeah, I think I think this is I, I think this is this is really the the canary in the coal mine or whatever the right metaphor is here. I think this is likely to go away and never come back. I, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot to talk about here in terms of, in terms of ongoing lawsuits with small podcasters calling themselves podcasters or, or actually, you know, doing something with episodic. Audio well, I'll tell you what, the it, it better be the end because if they come after PNR, this old marketing, we're going all the way. We're going the distance. We're gonna we'll fight go distance, this bad man. boy. We'll go, yeah. We'll go fight the distance <laughs> in all of our in all of our spare time. You know, I, I can't even imagine reading the transcripts in court. Like, I'm sorry, you were talking about Johnny Football? Was that was that the subject of the show? No, they're gonna <laughs> deem they're gonna deem uh, our content uh, not helpful enough to be considered yeah, exactly. in the mix, right? <laughs> It's going to be in the in the in the radio That's noise perfect. type. That is category. exactly right. It might as well be listening to static, folks. All right. Speaking of paying the bills and lawsuits, yeah. After we yeah after we destroy kind of our stuff. show, let's uh, let's bring on the sponsor. Exactly. But this spot, look, this sponsor knows. This is. I, I said this last week. I'll say it again. This sponsor knows what's Ab- up. Well, 
They are savvy. And savvy, you're paid savvy, to say that, actually. I, understand. <laughs> I, I, I guess in a weird way, in a weird sort of there an ethical Absolutely. Well, we actually, yeah, yeah, we tell yeah. people that we're paid to do it. No, really want to thank the yes. great folks at Smartling. Uh, they put out this white, wonderful white paper if you haven't gotten it. Let me give you some context to it. So a multilingual website is your gateway to the global marketplace. But being truly multilingual isn't just about translated content. A lot of people think that. It's also about providing visitors with an authentic and transparent user experience. And that's why Smartling has published a fantastic white paper. you got to get your hands on it entitled Creating an Optimal User Experience for Global Website Visitors. Frankly, if you're a global company, you need to download this, check it out, and read it. Contains best practices for companies that are building a global presence across multiple languages. You can download it today at bitly.com slash pnr dash global. That's bitly.com slash pnr global. Uh, I'm sorry, pnr dash global. And make sure you check it up. And once again, thanks to our good, good friends at uh, Smartling, which we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll see a couple fantastic. weeks at uh, yeah. Content Marketing World as well, but uh, really appreciate their support. And, and, and I, we, of course, Absolutely. we love great content as well. So they, they've, they've done us right in both cases. It's a great white paper. It really, really is. And, and you know, as I said last week, and I'll say it again, you know, for the enterprise, it's, 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 it's just something to really have to start thinking about. I can tell you that it's a, it's a very popular challenge right now, which is how do we globalize? That's going to be a huge issue for 15. I think you're, we're seeing it over and over, translation and localization. I think it's been talked about for a long time, but I think we're really starting to see enterprises get serious about well, it. Well, so that's the thing, right? Because the, the, the challenge here, and, you know, I mean, I come from this background. So, you know, from content management and global and enterprise content management more broadly. And, and I can tell you that the translation globalization thing is a challenge, but many companies have licked it. And the reason that they've been able to lick it in some, in some fashion is because when you're talking about uh, marketing copy or sales copy, you're talking about something that gets translated the same way over and over and over again. And so there's this concept called translation memory where you've got this idea that, you know, you, you basically can take the same phrase, which, you know, think about it, the mission statement of a company or the product description or that sort of thing, and you just run it through the translator once or twice and you've pretty much got it. So every time you have to get a one sheet or a brochure translated, it gets pretty simple. It may have to get localized, and you may have to think about local images and those sorts of things. But the thing with content marketing is it's cultural, too. It's you've got to start to think about not only what cultural sensitivities there may be, but quite honestly, what's funny? What's funny in China might not be funny Mm -hmm. in Brazil. and might not be funny in in Sweden. And it might also not be educational in all those different companies or countries, rather. So it's a really interesting challenge here with with that, that... adds a whole new wrinkle to the idea of content and translation and localization. Well, yeah, we've been trying to, I mean, this is the first year content marketing world. We have a global content strategy track and a workshop and a section of the exhibit hall around global. And this is just the start of it. And it's it's just interesting that we're getting more questions from the readership about it. And here we are talking about it. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, now it's time for the part of the show where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave, actually, about something that is giving us a little agita or making us feel a little love towards something. And so Joe has all of this old marketing this week, so he's going to go first. Yeah, I finally I so, finally uh, got the this old marketing example. <laughs> it's been, yeah. I think you've done like 10 I weeks was, in a know, row. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I have, a, I have a rant and a rave. 
And I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. This whole thing with Facebook content is fascinating to me. And I, and I always come back to the book uh, 1984, uh, George Orwell. Uh-oh. Uh, because All right. yeah, no, I thank well, you. the I more <laughs> the more we really get into Facebook and how they're trying to show us certain pieces of content and not show us other pieces of content. And by the way, it's their prerogative. They can do whatever they want. It's their business model. And we opted into using it. Right. So I'm not right. complaining about right. that, but I am fascinated <laughs> by some of these moves. So I'm going to talk about two moves. <laughs> One. I don't think is a good idea. One thing I, I one thing I do think is a good idea. So the first one, and this is uh, coming from the Independent, and it was it came up last week, and it basically Facebook to tag satirical articles to stop users from falling oh, for the this. Onion's jokes. And this is really targeting the Onion. And if those people don't, don't know the Onion, basically the Onion dot com spoofs just about every major news story out there with something that's incredibly funny, or they try to be. And so what Facebook is going to do, they're going to start to um, test a new feature where they tag it as satirical or they actually have text they're going to put on it that's bracketed with satire in front of it, which I don't even know if people <laughs> would recognize. Oh, satire. Oh, OK. This is a joke. But they're trying to they're trying to pre-screen. It's almost like they're what you do in front of a native ad. It's like, oh, this is this is not real in quotes. Uh so they're trying to do that, although it's funny. They, they, they can do it on the Onions articles, but they can't do it on um, the ClickHole site, which is the parody, other parody site that uh, right. parody site that right. on does. Right. So anyways, right. I just think that they're asking for trouble with this because then as you start to grade content, you're gonna, you can't just stop there. I think you really, they're going to have to go the entire mile and really get into this thing. Is, from, isn't, there, isn't there some like the, the – isn't there some – law that that I, I seem to remember there being a thing with YouTube and Google which basically said the reason we don't police anything is because if we start policing something then it makes us it makes us an editor right which means that if somebody puts something untoward or bad or horrible I think it Google it's platform been we can many get sued. I think I don't know about the sued part but Google's come up on this many times where you'd say oh this is a uh, this is from a, uh, a brand. This is from a media site. So as we were publishers, we wanted to get better listings and better organic listings in Google. So it's, oh, no, you've got to mark things that coming from media sites versus not media sites. And you and I have talked about this before. Hey, it's all content. It's all coming. Right. So this is my – this back to this art argument. I don't think this is a good uh, thing that they're doing. Now, I'm going to pair this, and this just came out because I didn't even – we didn't even have this in the feed – um, I know this is breaking news. It just came across. This is from Facebook's newsroom, and they just released this, and it's called Newsfeed FYI Clickbaiting, and it's from uh, two of their research scientists, one of their research scientists and their product specialist, and they're talking about Uh-oh. new improvements in the newsfeed. And you've talked, you've ranted about the clickbaiting before, which is you know, hey, you'll never <laughs> guess what you'll see in this post types of <laughs> right, stuff. Exactly. Well, what they're trying to so here's what they're doing with clickbaiting. They're trying to get rid of them all together because there's been so many complaints from Facebook users about spammy content. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to get rid of that. So they're going to measure it like if, if very quickly as these articles start to go throughout news feeds, if you click on it and then quickly click back, they will grade that as a non-useful piece of content and they will start to wow. bury that. 
as they go through the, 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 and the any of these clickbaiting That's... headlines. So this, I think, I think this is not a bad idea to do this. They're also doing – It's an well, interesting And idea. then they're also doing another thing. They're giving uh, posts that – when you when you put like a you know let's say you put a sentence headline and then you you have an article but you posted a photo with it those yeah. types of articles are going to not get as good status as articles themselves because a lot of brands have been sort of doing the bait and switch and say like, here's a wonderful uh picture of the sunset but you know I'm linking to a piece of my product pitch in it type of right, thing exactly so those right. are the two things and i i don't know what do you what do you think about those two changes i you know uh, the latter one i well i think this does i think both of them end up giving facebook trouble um you know i i, I think that uh um you know as a user i really like the second one right i really want to see less you know, and I've I've started to take a little more active role in sort of saying I don't like this and I don't want to see that and I don't want to see this, but you still see a lot of it, right? But um, anything that sort of helps improve the Facebook feed, I think, is a good thing. So in 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 spirit, I really like it. I think ultimately this this gives them. I, I think this is just a very very weird and slippery slope for them to start going I, down because I just don't I don't I don't see how it turns. Well, out Well, I think for that. that what I if they're doing it on personalized behavior, like what you're saying, you're saying I don't like this anymore, or if they, you go to a number of these types of articles and you you don't spend the time on them and they're reading that as some kind of a behavior, I think that could be good. But I think you, you can't generalize and say if you, if a post is set up this way, we're going to knock it down. I I think that's going to call for trouble. Because somebody's going to find a way I think around. That's it a then. good point. I think it's if it's based on behavior, I think it's it's better than if it's based on content yeah. or some sort of semantic analysis of that content. Because as soon as you start putting a value judgment based on semantics, it's you 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 that's a really hard thing to do and do well. But the behavior part, I get right. So if people are clicking away from it or or only engaging in it for a few seconds, then you can. I think make a better assumption that it's not very good content. I just, I don't know, man. It's just the more I can, I don't know. I don't know why I'm so negative today, but I just, I, every face, everything I see on Facebook is coming up big <laughs> well, brother. I am, I am not about to help that out any at all. <laughs> all right. So, because I have, Oh a yeah. So let's, let's hear your rant. What you got? Yeah. My rant is so back in November, um, this company called coin came out. And coin, uh, and, and I got one for Christmas. Um, so the coin basically is a new, super cool uh, at the time, super cool idea where you have one card. It's the size of a credit card, but within it is ostensibly a hard drive, which would store up to eight of your credit cards. Ooh! And so you basically, if you're at dinner, so you have this little card, which is called the coin card, and it. You can go, oh, I want to pay with my Amex. And so you just dial up your Amex on the coin card and give that to the guy. And they can't see a number. All they can do is swipe it. And so it's extra secure. It also has an app that goes with it on your iPhone so that if you walk away from it and you forgot it, it'll actually send you a message on your iPhone saying, you've forgotten your card. You need to go back to the bar and get it. Wow, that's good. And you can actually turn it off remotely as well. That just some really cool things, right? So for me, a traveling guy who you know carries a lot of different credit cards, this was a really cool idea. Love the idea, carrying one thing around and instead of you know all the different credit cards that I that I 
tend to carry around. And, and, you know, I'm a gadget guy, so it's a cool gadget too. So it comes out in November. I get one for Christmas. I'm an early, quote unquote, what they call backer uh, or beta tester. And so the idea is that it's going to come out in the spring. Yay, it's coming out in the spring. And uh, you'll come and you'll claim your thing and it'll ship in the summer. So I'm thinking, okay, June, July, it'll come around. Well, in comes June, and yeah, everything's on track. We're going to be shipping out the cards in August. Awesome. So August comes rolling around, and August is, yep, they're saying, you know what? We're going to be shipping in a few days. It's really great. You're going to have to go to this website. Here's what you'll do. And basically, all of the marketing is coming along. It's The content's coming in. It's like, oh, great, everybody's excited. And then in August, just random email shows up that basically says, yeah, so here's the deal. Remember that whole, and literally I read it in the Bloomberg uh, voice from Office Space, right? Mm, yeah, remember that uh, card yeah. we were going to ship you? Mm. Mm, yeah, we're going to need you to not get that, actually. Um, and they said, okay, here's the deal. We're not ready yet, and we're going to basically extend this beta period. We're going to charge you more if you want to be part of the beta process. And if you're part of the beta process, you'll get one sometime in early 2015, and you'll get to test it. And if you're not, you'll get your card sometime in 2015, and and you'll be not part of it. But you won't have to pay any more. So basically, they're putting it off another year. Oh, my gosh. And and basically, I mean, so I get it. Products go delayed. The technology's not quite ready yet. I get it. I get it. You knew about this more than six weeks in advance. You you knew this was. I, I I cannot believe that you didn't know this. So they've so I mean their website exploded as you might expect. I mean there was six thousand comments. I went on Saturday to the website. They had six thousand comments on their on their website. Basically all of them saying, "Give me a refund. You guys suck. This is horrible. I can't believe you're doing this." And they're not responding to any of it. Oh right? no! I mean, occasionally you'll see this. Hey, if you want a refund, you can get one. And the people are like. Are you not even listening? Are you not even like responding? Then finally Sunday, literally uh, yesterday, there was an email that hit everybody's mailbox saying, hey, we're sorry. We're, we're apologies. If you want a refund, you can get one, um, blah, blah, blah. But it's too late. I mean, they've just, they've, just, they've just completely blown their communication strategy with this whole thing. And I'm just annoyed because I got it for Christmas, so I can't go back to the person who gave it to me and go, hey, I'm going to get a refund on your Christmas gift, right? So I'm, I'm kind of in, right? I mean, I'm in for the adventure here. So, But this whole thing has just been really botched in terms of the way they handled this consumer experience. Oh, my gosh. What a horrible story. What a great well, – and I never – I <laughs> I, mean, I hadn't heard not... about the technology either. So I'm, when you had me, I'm like, oh, my God, I got to get this. And now I'm like, oh, man, yeah. that stinks. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to oh, do? Geez. Anyway, so how about this right, old marketing? so this old marketing. Um, so we have you, – you, you probably know we have our content marketing awards uh, that were just released – Dun, but dun, then dun. we have our overall, like the big finalists. So we have we do the big finalists for the projects of the year. We do agency of the year. We do marketer of the year. So one of our projects of the year was this really good. And I've known about it for a while, but it you know it came up from the judges. It's called Endless Vacation. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Endless Vacation site. It's been around for a long, long time. If you go, go to the it. site, I it looks it, like, yeah. boy, if I'm really looking for, you know, where where can I get information? I'm looking for a great destination with the family or a romantic destination. They just talk about, you know, whether it's 
overseas, whether it's in North America, whatever the case is, they just really, really top shelf content. And I had the opportunity to read some of this content. I'll tell you, this is really good stuff. Like I would say top of the line content about you know where to go on vacation, tips and tricks and all that type of stuff. This is produced right. by a company called RCI. I don't know if you're familiar with RCI. I am. So I'm you probably know them more than I do because I had to go and actually find out as I'm doing all this, find out what they do. But they basically do vacation exchanges, right? Where you can, it's the world's largest vacation exchange network. And uh, where have you used it before? Have you? No, I, I I'm familiar with them because I understand what they do. Uh, I I I looked at them as a. Uh, uh, I did some work with a with a travel and tourism board, and, and okay. they made me familiar. with Very what good. They okay, do. so yeah. it's really really interesting. So I'm doing I'm doing research. Yeah. So they've been doing this uh, uh, production of endless vacation for years. It's been well over five years, and I started doing some research because I'm trying to find how many is this going to. So listen to this. They have uh, 1.75 million paid subscribers in print. It's paid, paid That's subscribers amazing. in print. And then 1.25 million opt-in members that receive an e-newsletter, which is another, you know, which is a bunch of endless vacation content as well. I just, (laughs) I'm just like, oh my gosh, huge, huge media company. And what I love about this is they don't in the content itself. They're not talking about the products. They're talking about the experience. Right. They're talking about what it would feel to go to Chile and what you know when when you go to Paris. Here's the things you need. I mean, all those. Here's social media tips on the road, how you can make travel easier, talking about all these things. And then that gets you to the site and you get interested in their products and you end up doing these vacation exchanges. It's just it's just brilliant stuff. And hats off to yeah. them. And, and I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking there will be somebody at uh, Content Marketing World to, to represent them. But uh, we've got a lot of, lot of really good award winners. But this was the one that I wanted to focus on this week. Fantastic. Just fantastic. All right. Well, what's uh, so here we are. We're two weeks. Two weeks We're in two, counting. Like right now, as we, we would be at the opening reception for, for Content Marketing World. And that's right. I am just amazed. I mean, reg- the way the registrations have come in, I mean, we're just all humbled and blessed. And, and we're just on a really amazing wave right now. And uh, we're, you know, our goal is to, to create a great experience. And you and I are both working like crazy. You've got multiple talks. We I've got multiple talks. I, yeah. And uh, so that's basically for the next. Yeah, you know, two weeks. You know, I'm working on the opening keynote. We're doing a lot of filming this week uh, that we have to do for for some of the intros and and things like that. So, and I think you're working on a book, and God knows what else you're doing. I got the uh, I got the book. Uh, the book is getting finished, um, and we may or may not have a couple of little surprises there at the show. Um, and I've got my I'm heads down figuring out my workshop and my session, doing some. <sighs> final polishing on that bad boy and just getting ready i mean it is it is heads down let's get this, this let's get this show on the road for me so it's uh it's it's and by good. the way if anybody's still listening to this um they're probably going to yell at me for this but hey uh if you would like to come to the event and you want two hundred dollars off the price uh use code cmi 200 that's cmi 200 give you two hundred dollars off we'd love to see at the event and by Boom. the way i've got to give a shout out Boom. i had but that just happened Boom. Yeah. Um, Boom. I got to give a shout happened. out to Isabella Lowe. Uh, I was interviewed by her today. Isabella. And Isabella is a regular listener. 
Uh, she says she listens to us a couple times, and I, I really sorry about that, Elizabeth. They were, they were, she listens to each of our episodes multiple times, believe it or not. Takes notes on it. That is just. Uh, just loves what we're doing. Thank you so much, Isabella. We really appreciate all the support. So big shout out to, to her as well. So. Absolutely. And well, that is it. That is a great way to sign us off with, uh, for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. And, you know, if you're like Isabella, tweet us up. Hashtag this old marketing. Let us know. We need that GIF, by the way. Anybody out there, we need that GIF of Joe doing oh, the God, wrecking no. ball. You know, <laughs> absolutely, we need it. Or, you know, if you just have a question, send an email, thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 41, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All those links are on the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com with all of the news and everything we have and we talk about here. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.